The following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! This, this is the Players' Lounge. Broadcasting live from Dallas Cowboys World Headquarters at the Star. Now your hosts, Barry Church, Danny McRae, and Nui Scruggs. All right, baby, it's Friday. That means it's time for the Players' Lounge, and we have got content and topics to speak of. I'm Newey Scruggs, longtime Cowboys reporter, joined by Barry Church. He's the player of the Players' Lounge. Our boy Danny McCray still uh, having some time <laughs> off here. Number 42, Barry Church here in the building. Church, how we doing, my man? Good, man. Hey, 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 put it right, man. The real 42. All right, I don't want to hear all this stuff about, you know, 42 going here, 42 going there. The real 42, B-Church, man. We here. We here on the Players' Lounge, man. Where else would you rather be? It's Friday. It's a great day outside. Hey, it might even hit the links a little bit later. So it's a good day. It's a good day. Hey, man, I hope that pollen doesn't get to you out there trying to play that golf, man. I mean, actually. <sighs> man. I mean, you ain't lying. Wicked out. It's wicked out there, man. So you got to get some rest. It might be. It might be the worst it's been since I've been in Texas. Been here about 11 years now, and it, this is the worst, man. This is the worst it's been in a long time for me. It's a challenge, man. It's a challenge for a lot of people, and it's only going to get worse. It's the only going to get worse here. All right, lots of topics to get to. We'll talk about um, why fans are not excited about the possibility of drafting uh, Patrick Sertan. Patrick Sertan at 10 could be there, uh, but a lot of people aren't into it. <sighs> What, in my opinion, Barry, people have been trained by the Hall of Fame owner to love and concentrate on offense at all times. That that's a problem, yeah. here, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I go I go back to Super Bowl twenty seven when they had the triplets. Okay, the triplets being quarterback Troy Aikman, uh, wide receiver Michael Irvin, running back Emmitt Smith, and those guys were fantastic. And Jay Novacek is a tight end, fantastic, and the offensive line was fantastic. But people forget the Dallas Cowboys had the number one defense in the National Football League. Okay? It's the number one defense. This is true. The Cowboys have won five Super Bowls in their history, and they have had a doggone good defense for every single one of them. The first Super Bowl the Cowboys ever won, 24-3 over the Miami Dolphins, who ended up the next season having an undefeated year, and then the next season after that won a Super Bowl, and they held them without a touchdown. Um, the Cowboys, Super Bowl twelve team, the second championship by Tom Landry, they recorded eight, eight turnovers in Super Bowl twelve, Barry. Eight. And mm. it was broken. It was broken by nine turnovers by Jimmy Johnson's first Super Bowl team that had the number one defense in the league. They, they had nine against the Buffalo Bills when they beat them 52 to 17. So defense has always been a priority, but something that the Cowboys have excelled at. Jimmy Johnson was a defensive football coach. Tom Landry was a defensive football coach. But for some reason, people have fallen in love with offense, and I find it surprising that the Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, according to Chris Morton of ESPN, is intrigued by tight end Kyle Pitts of Florida. What uh, did you think when you heard that? Man. <laughs> oh, man. I, I knew this was coming. I knew it was coming, and I got to thank my boy Nate, Big Nate, um, who, who I do the pre- and post-game shows with. Nate Newton, big dog. He was a, you know, he was part of all those Super Bowl championship teams, but he told me this when I started doing this um, about two years ago. He told me, no matter how bad the defense is, no matter how bad they struggle and the fans say, we need defense, we need defensive help, we need to get it, no matter how bad it is, the closer you get to the draft, the less you'll hear about defense and whoever the star offensive player is at the time, you'll hear this Cowboys Nation saying, we need to grab him, we need to grab him. Look, to me, I, I understand the intrigue for this guy. I mean, Kyle Pitts... He, if what they say about him is correct, he's a once-in-a-generation type player at the tight end, wide receiver. I'm going to just call him an offensive weapon because I don't see him as an every-down tight end, in-line tight end. So I'm going to call him an offensive weapon. But from what they say, this guy is a mismatch nightmare. He has the long wickets. He has the long arms. So his catch radius is unbelievable. He can outrun guys at the safety position, nickel position, and definitely linebacker position after we saw what he did in his 40 time. So this guy, I can understand the intrigue. This guy can be, you know, that, that Megatron-type weapon to your offense. But for me, we don't have that luxury. We have, and, and you just, we have one of the worst defenses, not in, out of the season last year, but in NFL history, 
last year. And all we're going to do, if we don't address this and we keep kicking the can down the, down the, down the field, we're going to continue chasing teams. Oh, teams are going to be able to put up 30 on us, even though we may be able to put up 28 a game. We're going to be chasing teams every single game. So I, I, I understand the intrigue about this guy, but to me, we need so much more help other places that we don't have the luxury of drafting a guy the best at his position or whatever it may be. Plus, we have so many offensive weapons already. I mean, look who we have on the outside. We got Cooper. We got Gallup. We got C.D. Lamb, who emerged as one of the better slot receivers in the league after just his rookie campaign. And at the tight end position alone, we had Dalton Schultz, who was able to have somewhat of a breakout season with the injury of Blake Jarwin. We have him coming back from a torn ACL after we paid him $24 million. So I, I just don't understand the stockpiling at the that position, that tight end position. Um, I don't think he's a guy that's going to just just take over the league. Like, I mean, I understand he, he has this unbelievable talent, but I don't think he's going to take over the league like that. And I just think we need so much more help on the defensive side of the ball that we, we got to address it. We can't kick it down the field anymore. We can address it. We can get some help for the offensive line or something like that later on in the draft. But for me, I, I've got to address this defense. This defense has struggled mightily and we need to address it. We can't kick the, we can't kick the can down the field anymore, do we? We just can't. All right, I'm going to give you some of the counterpoints to what you're saying. That Kyle Pitts, outside of the quarterbacks, will probably be the highest rated player offensively or defensive on the board. So based on that, that you're talking about taking the best potential player in the draft, oh, by the way, which is what was said about Randy Moss, yeah. Are you willing? Yeah. Are you willing to pass on some on a player? So many of those who who scout this game said, "This is the best guy here. You could potentially get the best guy at ten. Are you willing? To I, do that? I'm I'm willing to pass that up. I, if we had a average defense, if we even had a middle of the road, maybe let's just say. 17 to 20th ranked defense in the league, I would without a doubt say, you know what, we can get Kyle Pitts because that defense, even though it's 17th or 18th or 17th or 20th in the league, it can still hold its own a little bit with that type of ranking. So I would say, you know what, let's go ahead and, and get Kyle Pitts. But the defense, we, we, we tried it out there last year. It, it was dead last almost. I mean, almost a lot of the, especially the rushing categories, it was dead last. So you're going to tell me, that bringing in Dan Quinn is just going to make that team go from that 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 assembly of that assemble of players. You're going to make them go from dead last in the league to a middle of the ranked team. I I just don't think the acquisition of Dan Quinn is that huge to this defense. I still think we need tools for him to be successful as a D coordinator, and we got to get those tools in the draft. We weren't we weren't able to go out there in free agency and grab the tools we need for this defense. So to me, we got to get those tools in the draft. And to me, it starts with at number 10 with Sartan. And I, that's just that's just my opinion on it. I understand Kyle Pitts is this, you know, could be this once in a generational player. But to me, if you can't stop the run and you and, and teams can just pile up points on you, pick your poison against you, Kyle Pitts ain't really going to do much work for you. All right. So I'm going to keep on just playing devil's advocate, giving you the other side. <laughs> of the argument, okay? Okay. So you're OK. You're OK passing. Uh, on from what could be potentially the highest rated player in the draft to be the Cowboys sitting at 10. This is the Players Lounge brought to you by Hotels.com. You are the player. You were a safety. You see what this young man, Kyle Pitts, is able to do to corners. How would you have been able to guard a guy like this? Would you consider him a guy that when the game plan came out, they're sitting here talking to you as a safety like, Church, you better worry about Pitts. Oh, yeah, especially in the middle of the field as a safety, you, you kind of that's where you kind of look for at the beginning of your when you're breaking down field. You look at the guys that are going to threaten the areas that you're in. And Kyle Pitts being that big time or big slot or big tight end, whatever you want to call him, he's going to threaten the middle of the field. So for me, I personally, if I was a D coordinator, I'm going against a guy that is a mismatch nightmare like that. I wouldn't just leave one guy on him. I'm not just like, okay, nickel, you got him, or linebacker, you got him, or safety, you got him. I'm not putting one guy on him. I'm beating him up at the line of scrimmage with one, and then I'll have somebody over top trailing him. Now, that you know, that that's where we need, you know, corners on the outside to be able to hold their own if you're putting that much emphasis on somebody on the inside. But 
Yeah, that's the type of that's the type of defense I would put on him, and I would also make him have to prove it first. I mean, we're we're touting this guy as the next Megatron, and we he's yet to play a snap in the National Football League. So for me, I got I'll let him I'll let him prove it first. But if he's able to do that, and his talent is as what they say they is, then that's how I would defend him. I beat him up at the line of scrimmage, and I would let my D line do work on that quarterback, and hopefully he throws up some takeaways. But overall, I, I got to see him do it first. I got to see him on the field do it first, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so so I'm just gonna, just based on what you said, you're talking about potentially having two guys deal with Pitts. So if you're the mm-hmm. Cowboys and you've got Pitts and Barry Church is sitting here having to worry about him and another player, then I've got CeeDee Lamb out in a route. I've got Amari Cooper out in a route. I've got Michael Gallup out in a route. And I've got a potential of Ezekiel Elliott coming out of the backfield. How do you defend that? You got it. You you got you got all those things you do, and I and I never said not not adding him would make this this offense even stronger, even uh, even have more capabilities out there. My worry is, what are you going to do with your own defense? See, we, we keep talking about this, you know, this offense putting up this, looking at all these weapons, and we get to pass the ball around to all these different weapons. But the, so does the offense coming in and in the face our defense. They can throw the ball all over the place. They can run the ball all over the place because our defense was that porous. So do you want to be in games, you know, 45 to 40, 35 to 32? Is that the type of games you're going to want to be in all season? Because that's the type of route we're going in. We're going in the, the greatest show on turf type route. And even though that 1999 St. Louis team had the greatest show on turf, they also had a top 10 defense to go along with that. So for me... I, I just don't see the intrigue in this. I, I can see the at all. Let me let me take that back. I can see the intrigue in why they want to get him, but I just don't think he can can possibly help our team as much as building a defense can. Because we already got weapons that are able to put up thirty points a game with the with the guys you just mentioned. If we add him, yes, that's a that's a that's an amazing plus. But to our defense, we're doing a disservice to our defense, and we're trotting them out there, and they're going to get exposed each and every day. We have got to, we have got to go out there, and we have got to put some type of talent, something with this defense to make it just the middle of the road. That way, we get to get the most out of this offense. In my opinion, I mean, do we want the greatest show on turf? Want, I know offense sells tickets, but do we want to win championships? And at the end of the day, I think that's what the defense provides. Bucky Brooks and I had a a Twitter. I won't say debate because we just had different ideas. And that's what it was different ideas. And, and, and Bucky has spoken about, hey, if you're the Cowboys, why not build strength on strength? And just when I asked you, hey, how would you defend the Kyle Pitts? And you talked about using two guys. And then I just kind of gave out the other blueprint. OK, so now you got Cooper, you've got CeeDee Lamb, you've got Gallup, you've got potential of having a Zeke Elliott come out of the backfield or run him in the middle. You know that you had these options here. Um, I am with you. And I've been with you on this whole thing about mm-hmm. defense. Your defense is true. I don't think people realize how bad it was last year because they were a 6-10 team and because Dak Prescott got hurt. And then Mike, Mike McCarthy used a lot of the COVID as excuses and the fact that his coaches didn't get to work. You know, there was a lot of excuses thrown out there last yeah. year. When we talk about the Cowboys being 31st, there's only 32 teams in the league. They were 31st when it comes to the run. Second Second to last, the Cowboys gave up 159 yards a game running the football. I don't think people have a true understanding of how bad that is. That's bad. Like, okay. like, like Nui, how, how, can, how can we get the ball back to our offense with all these weapons and all these superstars when other teams can just grind the clock all the way down running 150-some yards per game against us? I mean, there was so many times last year where we gave up 300 yards rushing. Like, 300 yards rushing. Like, teams can control the clock. They can do what they want against us to where our offense, we might only see, you know, four or five possessions a game. That's how bad our run defense was, and people don't want to address it. Uh, it it's, to me, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's a head-scratcher. So, so let me just also keep running down because we do a show every week and not everyone catches it. But so I'll just, if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat it again. Uh, the Cowboys gave up 473 points last year. They gave up 34 passing touchdowns. Okay, 34, 34 passing touchdowns. And that was the third most in the National Football League. And this year, just talking about some of the quarterbacks they're going to face this year, Barry, they get Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. They get Kansas mm-hmm. City and Patrick Mahomes. They get Justin Herbert, the outstanding rookie from the Chargers last year. Um, you've got teams 
like Minnesota. It's Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins has Adam Thielen, and he's got Justin Jefferson. These are some of the folks that are on the schedule. They face Denver next year. They got two good receivers out there. You've got Washington, which is improving their football team. Um, You've got dudes that you sit up here and say, they got problems. Um, you got Carolina, who's got Robbie Anderson. Um, they, they've got that, that quick kid they didn't take a couple years ago out of Maryland. DJ, what's his name? Um, DJ Moore. DJ Moore. DJ you know, so Moore. You've got, yeah. you've got dudes that they're going to have to go ahead and man up against and deal with, and quarterbacks are going to have to deal with. This defense has got its problems. Um, Rick Goslin, Hall of Fame writer, had a column out this week, and I sent it to you in case our – Folks, you didn't check it out. It's over on my Twitter page at Newey Scruggs. It's N-E-W-Y-S-C-R-U-G-G-S. That's N-E-W-Y-S-C-R-U-G-G-S. But some of the highlights that Gosselin spoke about, he said, hey, look, the Cowboys get infatuated with offense, and fans want to talk about the offense. But he says, something you got to know about offenses and high-scoring offenses is it does not really lead to championship success. Since 2000, 19 offenses, Barry, have scored 500 points. 19. Take a guess how many of the 19 have won the Super Bowl. Maybe one. Maybe. One. One. The, yep. 2000, the 2009 New Orleans Saints. Um, Peyton Manning's greatest year of football was in 2013 when he threw a record 55 touchdown passes. Denver scored 600 points. That's the only team in NFL history to score 600 points in a season. Peyton Manning and the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. I was there. It was at MetLife Stadium. Bruno Mars did the halftime show. It was sensational. And here's what I remember about the halftime show of that game was the game was over. I mean, the game was over. over. They were getting blowed out. They end up losing that football game 43-8, to okay? Denver lost 43-8. to And this is with Peyton Manning having the greatest football season he's ever had. I remember doing a radio show for NBC Sports that, um, that week with Bart Scott. And Bart Scott was like, yeah, man, you got to go, got to go to general, man. You got to go with Peyton Manning. I was like, Bart, man, give me the defense. And sure enough, the defense went out there and whoop, went whooped upside their head. That was Peyton Manning's greatest year. How about Tom Brady's mm-hmm. greatest year of football? Um, 2007. Were you on that Cowboys? 50 touchdowns. Oh, yeah. no. I wasn't, I wasn't part of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, they they came they came they came uh, here and put on a show, um, but that was 589 points that that New England team scored that year. They went undefeated in the regular season. Went undefeated all the way to the Super Bowl. And do you remember how many points that New England offense scored in the Super Bowl against the Giants? It was was it 14? 14. <laughs> 14. Yeah. 14. That's it. 14. That's it. And that's it. That, And I bring these up to go back to say what you were speaking about here, which is, hey, man, guess what? These defenses matter. And as many points as you score, we're not seeing it translate into championship um, trophies. You, I don't even know if you were born Super Bowl 18 back in 83 when Washington went and faced the L.A. Raiders in Super Bowl 18 in Tampa Bay. So... That was the year that Washington was coming off their win of Super Bowl 17. They had the fun bunch, and they had set the, then set the record for points in the National Football League, well over 500. They go all the way to the Super Bowl. They're this heavy favorite against the Raiders, and they got obliterated. I want to say it was 38-9 mm-hmm. was the final. I mean, they just got trashed. And this was also a Raider team Washington had beat earlier that year at RFK Stadium. So, you know, it, it was bad. And, and I look at what happened with Tampa and Kansas City. You know, Tampa took on Kansas City, and Kansas City blew them out in their own stadium earlier in the year. And, and the Super Bowl, true. man, it was, it, was a, it was a beating by Tampa Bay against Kansas City, and Kansas City didn't have two offensive starting tackles. It showed, and it got blown out, despite all the great offense. So what you're saying, I'm backing up, and Tony Casillas, a former great Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle, part of a couple Super Bowl teams, Tony tweeted out this week, hey, man, Jerry, stop talking about this tight end. You, win, you won with defense. So that's my argument back to the fans is this whole I mean, premise of, hey, man, look, we can go outscore these people. Uh, that's not the strategy that wins championships. No, if you want you know, a regular season division championship or just a playoff berth, then yeah, go ahead and load up your offenses. I mean, offenses do well in the regular season. Like you said, Peyton Manning had the 55 
uh, TD passes. Tom Brady had the 50 touchdown passes that year. They do all this great stuff. But when it comes down to nut butter time, when it comes down to getting things done, if you have a hellacious defense out there, it's going to win every time. It's going to win nine times out of ten. I mean, and, and that's what I think we, we need to get the philosophy going in this team and this and this defense. We need to add pieces to this defense. I mean, last time we heard about Jerry being intrigued about a player, it was Johnny Manziel when he was coming out. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad whoever talked to him, you know, that draft night, you know, talked him out of that decision. And we ended up going with uh, what, Zach Martin, I believe, which would have been which was a way, way better deal than uh, Johnny Manziel. But I mean, the, this intriguing factor, we, we got to get away from it, man. We got to get away from it, and we got to well, address this defense. Now, later on, yeah, you know, later on, you know, maybe a year or two from now, then we can get back to the offense. But when your defense is this bad, you don't add things of great value in free agency. You got to address it in the draft. This is the portion of the Dallas Cowboys that I kind of laugh about. And this comes from a national perspective. We're here all the time. We, we know what's going on here. So... Chris Mortensen, who's a Hall of Fame writer, and I, I, while Chris didn't say, Jerry told me he's intrigued, Chris has always had a fantastic relationship with him. And through the years, I know there's certain media people who have a direct line to Jerry, and Chris Mortensen is one of those guys. So I believe he did get this from the source, Jerry, about being intrigued by Kyle Pitts. But Jerry's <laughs> always been intrigued by certain players. You brought up Johnny Manziel, so I kind of went back on my list of players I've known through the years that he was intrigued of. He loved Willie McGinnis when he was coming out of USC. He loved Willie. He was very intrigued by Willie, tried to trade up for Willie. I remember having Willie on my Sunday show in L.A. before he got drafted and ended up going to New England. Willie had said he mm -hmm. thought the Cowboys were going to go get him because they were. So Jerry was intrigued, loved Willie McGinnis, didn't work out there. He was, like you said, he was intrigued by Johnny Manziel. He was intrigued by Quincy Carter, and he ended up making a second-round deal to trade to get Quincy Carter when his scouts had him as a fourth-rounder, and some of them said, don't even do it. He was intrigued by Quincy Carter. Uh, he was intrigued by Mo Claiborne, and they ended up making that yeah. draft aid deal because the Cowboys said, man, he's the highest-rated guy we've had since Deion Sanders. So they were sold on Mo Claiborne, made that deal, didn't work out that way. And I'll give you another guy, probably the ultimate regret for Jerry of a player he was intrigued by really wanted, which is Randy Moss. So yeah. Oh, we, we saw what happened when, when Randy came down to the to Dallas. I think that was that Thanksgiving game. Yeah. He had like it three was. catches for three tubs. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. Can but I say this about we don't Randy? Go, Let me say go ahead. Go ahead, Nui. Barry, Barry, here's go ahead, the thing. And I, I, and I defend Jerry from this standpoint. Now, Jerry wanted him. But at the time, Michael Irvin had his issues. And the people were looking at the Cowboys. They didn't like them. Their own fan base is like, man, these, these aren't good dudes. We don't like them. They had a really bad perception of the football team, that they were entitled. Too many guys were getting in trouble. They didn't like what they saw. They didn't feel like this was my America's team. So that was one reason why they didn't draft Randy Moss. And Michael Irvin has said years later, I'm the reason that Randy Moss wasn't drafted because of the issues I was going through. And oh, by the way, mm. 19 different teams, not just the Cowboys, but 19 other teams this passed on Randy Moss. Okay, uh, The this Titans passed on Randy Moss <laughs> two times. And one of the reasons why Ooh. I think Randy Moss was so successful is because of where he went. He had a good relationship with Denny Green, the head coach. Denny Green was able to talk to Randy Moss man-to-man, father-to-father. Then when Randy got there to Minnesota, he also was under the wing and tutelage of Chris Carter. Chris Carter Chris brought Carter. him in. Okay? Yes, sir. And then another guy who lives around here in the area, Jake Reed, a wide receiver. So when I look at Randy Moss's success, people like to conveniently forget the infrastructure he went to. And Barry, you played in this league, and you were also in Jacksonville, so you understand that when you go to a team, a culture and infrastructure matters very much to the success of a player, especially if the player has question marks. Without a doubt, and especially when you first come into this league as a rookie. If you come into this league as a rookie and and you're on a younger team with not a lot of veteran presence and guys are just kind of doing their own thing. It's kind of hard to make it make yourself last or find a niche in this league because you're trying to learn 
on the fly as it is. And then when you got other guys doing that as well, it's kind of like the blind leading the blind. So luckily for me, I was able to come into this team. And back then, in 2010, the Cowboys, they were a veteran-laden team. I mean, they had Romo, Witten, that old offensive line before they got all the young guys in there like Tyron Smith and stuff. And on the defensive side of the ball, we had, you know, D-Ware, Brady James. We had Marcus Spears. We had a lot of veteran presence out there to kind of show us the way and kind of lead us in the right direction. And for me, that was huge for my career. Because it didn't have me, you know, oh, every free day or every free opportunity. Oh, let me go here. Let me go do this. Let me go hit the streets like that. No, those guys are saying, no, nah, church, you need, to, you need to calm down. Let's, let's go look at this or let's go work on this. And I, I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of the downfall of the young rookies or busts out there is when they go to a, a situation where they don't have great leadership or they don't have guys that are, have their best interests at heart. And, you know, hopefully these guys coming out of this rookie draft land in the right situation. But like you said, New, that, that's a huge thing to be able to have a great relationship, especially coming into the league as a rookie. It's much needed to, to further your progression as a player. And, and Randy Moss needed Chris Carter. He but didn't need Michael Irvin. He didn't need Michael Irvin when you talk about at that time mm. where he was. Because this was yeah. never about Moss's talent. That's why I can tell people all the time, man, you keep going, Jerry, you should have done, you should have done the talent. Nah, you're not looking at the whole picture of what was going on. You're just looking at the the oh this talent, we plug him in here. Nah man. The, the, the organization and where they were going at the time and why they took Greg Ellis, they took Greg Ellis because, one, they had a defensive need, but also they also needed a dude who had a good reputation. And that was one of the things that worked in Greg's favor, that Greg was a good, clean, wholesome guy. And they were looking for that, and they were looking for defensive help. So that's the thing that, that people – you know, it makes me mad because you're not looking at the whole thing of what was. You're looking now in hindsight. Because everybody mm-hmm. can look in hindsight about why yeah, everybody has twenty twenty in hindsight. Yeah, you know, we can all all these teams can look back and say, "Man, we probably should have taken that Aaron Rodgers and not let him slide all the way down into the twenties. I mean, a lot of folks yeah. sit around here say this now, <laughs> but at that time, man, there was a reason why nineteen teams passed on this dude two times, and Tennessee ended up passing on Randy Moss two times, and they they, they taken mm. Kevin Dyson, the wide receiver from Utah. Randy Moss had some issues and concerns from people, man. They had those issues, and Lawrence Phillips was another guy who went the year before, and Lawrence Phillips' off, off-field issues became a deal where it was like, man, we're not taking him. Dick Vermeil came out and said, man, we are not drafting Randy Moss, because they were part yeah. of drafting, that, drafting Lawrence Phillips, and, and that stuff matters come draft time here. And that's why I said we, and I wish we would have done it. And we kind of did this where we went and kind of got a veteran free agent presence um, in that secondary with with with, uh, with Demonte KZ back there. Because I don't because Neil he's going to be with the linebackers, and so I don't really consider Neil as a part of the secondary right now. But I, we kind of addressed it with KZ getting that veteran presence. But I, but you know he really doesn't have enough. He has some experience, but not as I wish we could have. I wish we could have got one of those more, maybe maybe six, seven, eight year in the league type veteran safeties who had a plenty, plenty of experience because they could have showed those those young guys. Because we got a young secondary. If you look at it, we got a super young secondary. We got Wilson, who's what I think he's in his third year, but only really second year of kind of playing. Then we got you know Diggs, who's, who had a good up and down rookie season, but. He has potential coming back from an injury, and then we might potentially have another corner in this draft, whether it be Sertain, Farley, or Horn, the kid from South Carolina. We might have another guy in the secondary. So we'll have an extremely young secondary, and that's why, to the point, I wish we would have went in free agency and got kind of a Tayshawn Gibson or got a Trey Boston or somebody like that who's had miles and miles of experience in this league and can kind of show these guys the ropes and get the most out of their production. But you know, hopefully KZ can be that guy for this team. I'll push back on KZ because I'm going to stay consistent with what I've said before, even when I was hoping they would sign him. The benefit he'll bring is that he can at least explain to guys what Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, and Joe Witt, the secondary coach, want. Hey, guys, line up here, do that. And if he can get on the field and line some guys up in the right place here, that's a benefit to me. Um, and, and versus a guy coming in here who's still trying to learn what it is they want. That, to me, is why you paid for the player and you brought him in here, is this experience that they got here. All right, we got to take our first break. Um, can this be a bounce-back year for Ezekiel Elliott? And I'm gonna, I want you to think about this question during the break, Church. I want you to think about it, and, and I want an honest okay. answer. Okay. Do the Cowboys have any blue-chip players on their defense? All right, going to answer that on the other side. You're checking out the Players' Lounge right here on Hotels.com or sponsored by Hotels.com on Dallas Cowboys. 
Radio.com radio. Adjust your cleats, adjust your pads, even adjust your helmet. But seriously, don't adjust your underwear because once it's seen, it cannot be unseen. Tommy John's fabric keeps you cool and dry on the field or in the stands, and now they even have loungewear. Yeah, loungewear. Shop underwear at TommyJohn.com forward slash Cowboys for 15% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com forward slash Cowboys. Hey there, Cowboys fans. With Tide Cleaners at-home pickup and delivery, cleaning your clothes has never been more convenient. Simply sign up at your local store, set out your dirty clothes, and one of our Tide Cleaners professionals will come directly to your home for a totally contactless experience. Your clean garments will be returned promptly the next scheduled delivery day, so skip the errand and enjoy life, not laundry. Visit TideCleaners.com or your local store to sign up for Tide Cleaners at home pickup and delivery today. Grab some OtterBox gear and get ready for hanging with the boys. From rugged venture coolers to tough-as-nails elevation tumblers, We've got what you need to keep your game day drinks frosty and your football feast ice cold. And with cases, screen protectors, and power accessories, you can defend your phone and stay connected to every play. Gear up at OtterBox.com and amp up the fun of every Cowboys game. That's OtterBox.com. Is your family a Cowboys family? Have you taken holiday photos at the Star? Was your wedding theme blue and silver? Have you convinced your kids them? is spelled with a D. If so, every game day feels like a vacation to you, so treat it like one. Whether you're traveling to the game or watching from your favorite vacation spot, book a place to stay on Hotels.com. Proud partner of the Dallas Cowboys. Back to the Players' Lounge. All right. DCC auditions ever dreamed of being a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader? Well, this year may be your year to make the team. The Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders will be hosting online auditions with a simple application and video submission. This is the chance of a lifetime to pursue your dream and perform in the National Football League from the convenience of your own home. Online auditions open May 2nd at DallasCowboysCheerleaders.com. And not just doing NFL games. The Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders do worldwide events. I was checking out this show on Netflix, Church, and if you haven't seen it, um, it's a Formula One show. It's about mm, the okay. best best race car drivers in the world. Um, they race 20, 21 races on five different continents. All right, they're in all these great countries, and they do have a race, a Formula One race in the United States, and it's down in Austin at the Circuit of Americas, and when they went and showed that race, there were the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders right there being, being a part of it, like, hey, everybody, welcome to the, you know, the U.S. Grand Prix and how we do it down here, and they're the world-famous Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, so something to check out there. Um, you and I love talking football, but we are, we are fans of music and movies, and, and we just got the news that DMX, the rapper, has mm. died 50 years old. His family confirmed that he'd been hospitalized since April 6th after suffering a heart attack, <sighs> man. Um, man, you, know, you, you hate to see it, man. You hate to see hey. it because, I mean, DMX is that's 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 a guy that I grew up on. I mean, when I was finally able to listen to the to the CDs that had the little uh, parental advisory at explicit, the bottom of them, finally explicit, <laughs> yeah, explicit. But you know, I was finally able. My parents finally said, "Okay, you can listen to stuff." Man, DMX was one of the first guys I threw on the track, man. It, his music is iconic. I mean, it goes all the way back to that 99 world. I think it was Woodstock in 99 when he performed in front yes. of, I'm talking about millions. Yes. If, if you haven't seen it, if someone hasn't seen it, look it up on YouTube. I think it's a 1999 Woodstock DMX performance. He had the whole world singing his anthems, man. This guy. Rough Riders he was anthem, huge. Rough Riders Rough anthem, Rider, Rough Riders anthem. He was huge. And you just hate to see, you know, what, what, what. What drugs and different type of things can do to you. I mean, he was an icon out there, and you just hate to see uh, passing of an icon like this. So definitely condolences to him and his family. But man, I mean, that, you hate to see it because this guy. I mean, this, this, this is who I grew up on. This is who I grew up on, and a lot of people grew up on. And like I said, man, you hate to see it. Yeah, man, it's gonna make me watch uh, that film Belly that he did. He acted. In oh, classic. He was with the Rough Riders in his first album, 1998. Um, it's hard, it's dark, and 
Dark and Hell is Hot. Um, it was number oh, one man. on the on the Billboard 200 chart. And you know, so I just go back to some of those great tunes that he's had. Um, you know, Where the Hood At. That, that was uh, you know one of those classic ones you, you rocked all the time. <sighs> Um, I mean, everybody he, knows the you know the stop, drop, open up, shop. I mean, I mean, yeah, this yeah, is the rough man. Yeah. The rough riders, everybody knows it. And then the oh, one he did with Cisco, man. you know, um, what these, what these blank walls. Oh, yes, from a, yes, you know, that, that, that was, was a classic. Cisco, that was you know. Oh, I mean, just, he was naming you know, them Shanisa, yes. Shauna, Denise. Right. I'm like, oh my goodness, man. I had two kills. He's a great storyteller. I had two kills and Alicia. I mean, in the, in the rap yeah. voice that he had, you know. <laughs> His I voice was unique. He was right. a great storyteller. If you listen yes. to his, his songs, yes. he, he told stories to pretty much every single one of them. I mean, he was a, he was a man. He was he reminded me of Biggie Smalls in that regard as to where he was a great storyteller. And uh, I mean, it's just man, his music is classic. And I'm gonna have to bump me some DMX today, man. I'm gonna have to, oh, have to the, bump me some today. <laughs> the the D DMX, you know, here we go again. When you talk about a great storytelling, that's a really great storytelling on that tune. Here we go again. Mm -hmm. um, when I when I take my spin classes, I don't necessarily like the music that comes through my comes through the speakers at, at the gym. So I bring my own headphones. So I bring my own headphones. There you go. D, the DMX probably gets me through. DMX tunes probably get me through about fifteen minutes of class because I'm able to just turn Easily. those on there, man, and just go. And and and, mm. and it's and it's got you going, man. That's the thing. But. 50 years old, Earl Simmons, that's his real name. Earl Simmons has passed away at 50 years old. I said, I know this is a football show, but you know, guys like Barry, you know, football players love rappers, and rappers love football players. You know, that's it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. And it, you know, that's the, the, it, 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 it's at 50, man. Dude's it, my age. Okay. So that's when that's how it hits me. He's young. Okay. It's that's how young. it hits me. Like, when you talk about life, man. Yes. When you talk about life, 50 years old is extremely young, man. And when you talk about music and sports, I mean, they're, they're synonymous. They're one and the same. I mean, how many how many times do you see guys on the on the uh, warm-up field before a game? They got their headphones on. They're jamming because music gets you in that. It gets your adrenaline pumping. It gets you ready for battle to go out there. And, and nobody, I don't know who was better. I don't know if there was a better artist to get you prepared for battle than DMX. I mean, he definitely was on my rotation getting ready for the games. I mean, he, he gets you hyped, man. He gets you hyped, and it's just, man, it's just, it's, you just feel bad that, you know, he, he's gone so early, man. Because like you said, 50, 50 years in this life, that, that's still relatively young. So, I mean, you just, man, you just hate to see it. You hate to see it. San Francisco Giants manager Gabe Kapler, uh, when he was with the Texas Rangers, uh, What's My Name used to be his walk-up song. And, <laughs> you know, I just want to, that's probably my best one, you know. It's not a game. Game. <laughs> What's you know? my name? DMX. Right. And then he just gets going, man. It's just, What's he is hype, man. Dude. I'm telling yes. you. Now, now, you do that. Now, you go into, you know, say you go into a spin class and you cycling on a bike. And you know, stop talking. You know, just. Oh, you know, it man. Just, It'll get you going. The way he, right. The way he came up, and especially, you know, for you being a safety. Okay. You, you about to hit somebody. You know, what's my oh, You know, you just. You hit him. I mean, just. <laughs> man, you got, you got to be sweating now, dude. You got, you know, blood going oh, through my veins now. I, I'm, like, I'm sweating just, right now, man. Wow. I mean, I mean, he, I'm telling you that. And that's the impact he had. That's the impact yeah. he had on everybody, man. He, he got the mo he just He just got you amped and ready for battle, man. It's. Man, like I said, you hate to see it. He was he was an icon out here, man. But he won't be forgotten, man. That, that dude made some. He made some classic tunes, man. Classic tunes. So, so DMX will, you know, Black Twitter is going to have some amazing tributes uh, mm -hmm. to him. And, and, and look, DMX has been very public about his drug addiction. Said he got addicted to crack cocaine at 14 years old, and he battled it. And and I, you know, and here he is passing away of a drug overdose. And Mm. I think all of us can pretty much say we know someone in our lives who's had an addiction and the addictions yeah. don't stop. People at, at times can get some help, but you, you hope that they can come through. Unfortunately, he didn't come through, but I, I just look here and celebrate what a great rapper he was. And the effect, mm -hmm. the, the, the rap game changed. That's, that's for me. That's when I start to look at just athletes and entertainment. Did you change the game? 
You know, nobody else yeah. was rapping like him the way he came. We got, oh, oh, okay, okay. I mean, that was that thing mm-hmm. about him. And, and there's just certain guys that come along and you're like, all right, man, that, that guy's different right there. Uh, the DOC was one of my favorites because when, the, when yeah. he came out, and, and he was with NWA, but then, all right, man, hey, look, yeah. Dr. Dre's got this one guy right here, and, and it's the DOC, and he came out at a whole different level. Um, the one song, Getting Funky, was just so different. You're like, oh, man, okay, I hadn't heard this. And I don't know if you know about the D. I don't know if you know about the DLC, but do you know what DLC stands for, Barry? No, nah, what's it stand for? Dallas Oak Cliff. He's from here. Man, I would have never thought that. Yes, the DLC is from here. Being with NWA, I thought he was, you know, a West Coast guy. Right, and yeah, that's mm. the thing. So he he wrote a lot of their music. You know, he helped he and he and Dre they wrote and 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 Q they wrote a lot of their music and lyrics. And so he came out and did his own album, and then he got in that car accident. And I tell people all the time, we probably don't ever hear of Snoop Dogg if the DOC doesn't get in that accident. Yeah, because then he like lose his voice or something like that. Yeah, or his yeah, like his voice, his voice was all yeah. His trachea it was definitely it was definitely messed up and just and so you know Dre kept on making music and so his little brother Warren G is hey man you know check out my boy Snoop and and then Snoop becomes you know the legend that he is. But I tell people yes. all the time, as great as Snoop is, the DOC was at that level too. But that's what mm-hmm. happens, man, when you just think about it. But when I bring that all tied back to DMX, who's passed away today, which is, hey, man, there's these certain guys that come along. And you just say, hey, man, that guy's different. And it's the same way we look at athletics. Like, hey, man, that, that guy's different right here. And he's, and he's, you know he's, what pretty, saying? he's pretty special. He, that's, what, that's what they're saying about Kyle Pitts right now. They're saying, hey, was, this dude was, is different. I mean, <laughs> this dude we're, is we're different. We're thinking alike now. We're thinking alike now. As I said, <laughs> he's different. But, but and now this is great because it comes back to the thing I was going to ask you before. Name me a blue chip football player on the defensive side for the Dallas Cowboys. Blue chip. That's blue that. Chip. Now, to me, a, a, to me, a blue chipper is a guy that he's that he's there every day, down in and down out. You can count on him. His play doesn't drop off at all, and he's your he's your he's your backbone. To to me, for the Cowboys defensively, after looking at last year, I, I mean, maybe. Maybe one, just may, and he has to get back to his form, and I think that's what that's what will seclude him from being a blue chipper. Is I would say D Law, but last season he was a part of that historically bad defense, and he didn't play as great as a lot of us thought he could play. So I wouldn't. He's the only one I might consider for blue chip. But other than that, I don't see anybody else. I don't see anybody else because LVE. He, he he possibly could have it could have been in that blue chip situation, but he has injuries. I mean, and, and who knows what's going to happen going forward with him? So to me, I, you know, D Law maybe, but that's a that's a that's a maybe for me, and that's the only one I could I could I could think of right now. Okay, they don't have any. Right, tell you right now, there there are no. All right, <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> Blue chip players, scouts, you know, when they start to blue chip play, they are elite players. The Cowboys do not have an elite player on their defense. And I went and talked to Chris Landry about it. Chris Landry used to run the, the scouting combine. He also used to draft for, for um, the Tennessee Titans. And you know, he drafted Eddie George. So I, and he has his own football service, LandryFootball.com. So I asked Chris, because I want to bring this to the show. I said, Chris, um, give me your opinion about Tank Lawrence, because that's the closest of anyone who we could have. Because I had mm-hmm. a debate. I had a debate with uh, my guy Pat Doney over at NBC5, and Pat Doney would say, hey, Tank is a blue chip. I said, the Cowboys don't have any blue chip guys. He says, Tank Lawrence is. I said, I don't think he is. So I asked Chris. Chris said, quote, he graded out high red grade and some in the blue area, which is the highest grade level in league personnel. So he's red, okay. which means he's a good football player, but he's not elite. When I think he's about, you know, guy, right, when I think about blue chip, you know, Aaron, Aaron Donald's a blue chip football player. TJ Watt. Um, yes. You, you see, you get it. They're elite players, and the Cowboys are having an elite player. And I t- take this back into what we're talking about in the draft. The Cowboys are sitting here at 10, and if things go the way we believe, that there'll be a whole lot of offensive guys going, they could have the first shot at a defensive player at 10, which could be Patrick Sertain of the University of Alabama, the reigning SEC Defensive Player of the Year, part of the national champions. Here's a kid who walked onto the campus of the University of Alabama at 18 and got a starting job in the backfield. Nick Saban, his his whole NFL and his whole defensive philosophy started as a defensive back. Played defensive back at Kent State for Don James. That's his deal. He still will coach defensive backs to this day. That's his thing, okay? That's where you can't Mm -hmm. fool him. So for Sertan to come in there 
as a freshman and start there three straight years. To me, that's special. We look at Trevon Diggs last year, and we look at him and we say, you know what, there's a future building block for the Cowboys. Yep. But we know this. He was the number two corner at Alabama to certain. Mm. So to me, if you can get two good corners and I can get a blue chip player, to me, this you need a cover corner in this league. You, you were on that Jacksonville yes. team. You guys had a blue yes. chip corner there. You had Jalen Randy. Yes, you had a blue chip, and you had several blue chip players, but you definitely had one there. There's not a blue chip defensive player up front to me. There's not a D lineman or edge guy at 10 that's a blue chip guy, but you got a defensive back there. You you do got a defensive back. And maybe I'm thinking a a tad bit selfishly because me as a safety, if you know you got those guys at the edge, if you know you got a a Ramsey and and at the time I had a Boye on the other side, it makes your job so much easier because you can sit there you can just say all right you got that dude even though i'm supposed to help you a little bit i know you got that dude locked down and it can free you up to make so many more plays so that's why i think i have the whole we need to get this guy we need to get this guy at the corner because it, it would make the safety's job that much easier so maybe i'm being a little selfish in that regard but if there was a, 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 a high a high ranking defensive lineman if there was someone along that defensive line in this draft that could be that blue chip prospect, I'd be all for it. Because even though those corners on the outside make a safety's job that much easier, the front seven makes the whole entire defense that much better. And I would lean that way. But there's not that guy right there. So you you have an opportunity to have a blue chip corner in Sertan and match him up with another building block possibility in t- um, and Trayvon Diggs on the outside, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a no-brainer because if you have those two out there who can play zone, they can play man, they have the abilities to go out there and guard the number ones and guard the number twos and pretty much make them irrelevant. If they can do that out there on a, on an every-down basis for this Cowboys team, I mean, it, it'll be night and day. But once again, they got to put the work on the field to be able to do that. But to me, you, you can't pass up on a blue chipper like Sertan, a guy that you said is a three-year starter at Alabama. He's gone against the best talent because, like you said, he was the number one corner. Not Trayvon Diggs. He was the number one corner. So he was yes. going against the, the SEC's best. And we know as a conference, the SEC is heads and tails above any other conference in, the, in, the, in the college football right now. So he's going against the best talent out there. I think you got to go ahead and go ahead and get this guy. You need to assure that side of your defense. And I know it seems like a broken record because I've been saying Sertan since we started talking about the draft. But for me, it's a no-brainer. We got to get this guy to to help shore up the back end since they don't have any blue chip prospects to shore up our front end. I think we got to go Sertan there. But that's just your boy thinking. Well, I just think if you're trying to talk about winning a Super Bowl in, in some of the five building blocks that you need, you need a quarterback, you need a left tackle, you need a, d- a defensive run-stuffing guy, you need an edge guy, um, you need a corner. You know, you need a corner. Uh, you need a wide receiver. Um, you know, you need the, you know, these are the kind of things that you need here. And I think Sertan can help them out. And this book here by, by Bill Walsh called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, when Bill Walsh started his rebuild and they started to win a championship, in 1981, he decided to go heavy at the quarterback position because the 49ers were not, they were, were, they were not where Bill wanted to be. And obviously, the guy who was the kingpin uh, was a corner he took in the top 10 in Ronnie Lott. And one of the things in mm-hmm. reading about this book, he spoke about Ronnie Lott. He says, when you bring a Ronnie Lott in your organization, you're actually bringing several Ronnie Lotts aboard because they create others in their own image. And when I think about a guy like Sertan coming to a legendary program like Alabama's and starting from day one, that guy had different traits. Okay? You know, because they, I mean, you think about this now. Alvin Kamara transferred out of Alabama because he couldn't get no run. He did. Okay? <laughs> he, they were stacked. You know, yeah, they were stacked. Right. Yeah, they had a lot of cats back there, for sure. Right, so, so you know, this is a program. I mean, it's, it's tough to compete in. I mean, Mac Jones could end up being the third overall pick in this draft. This guy was sitting true. behind Jalen Hurts and Tua, okay? This guy was sitting in the back, and they had two other guys who ended up transferring uh, during that time to Jalen Hurts. So when I, I bring this up, it, it's tough to play at Alabama, and you just don't walk in here to a defensive position that Nick Saban knows left and right and start from day one, uh, become a championship player, become the SEC Defensive Player of the Year, finish second in the uh, the in the, um, the, uh, the defensive back of the year award kid from tcu more and won it but this is to me when i look at this is a guy who's got a resume that says yeah i want that give me some of that and fans aren't excited in church i'm just trying to understand how could you 
how could you not be excited to improve your football team? And no, you ain't going to fix everything, but at least start. The Chinese got to say it, church, says, when's the best time to plant a tree? Ten years ago. When's the next best time? <laughs> today. Today. So start working hey, on your defense today. Hey, and I understand, I understand why people aren't excited because, like we said, we mentioned earlier, man, offense, you know, that sells tickets. That gets the people excited. That gets people wanting to come see them. When you got a high-powered offense, you got the greatest show on turf. That's why cats aren't really, really excited about Al Sertan out there because he's a defensive guy. He's a corner, very solid corner, but that's not the thrill seeker that they that they want, that they want on this on this Cowboys team. So for me, it's in the, it's in the we got to get this guy. I mean, I just... There's, there's no other prospect to me. I mean, unless you want to trade back and kind of get a lot of depth pieces, that that could be an option. But to me, you got to go on the defensive side of the ball. And 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 what furthermore about him, when you go to Alabama and you're coached up by a guy like Nick Saban, it makes you very coachable when you come to the league. And that's a big thing that rookies don't seem to mind when they come into the league. They think they know everything. I mean, they think, they, oh, we, we, we understand that. It's cover three. That's easy. What are, what are you talking about? I could do this with my eyes closed. And they go out there and they get exposed. But you rarely see that from Alabama players coming in. They're very coachable and they, they, they're they able to pick up schemes very fast. So for me, this guy's a no-brainer. He, 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 he has all the tools you need. He's smart. He's physical. And he can go out there and make plays. And that's what this defense needs Badly is playmakers out there instead of guys running or guys that letting guys run for 300 yards on us. We need playmakers out there, and this guy's there at number 10. Couple folks here, um, just, just reading some of the comments we get says, Newey completely against the offensive player, laugh out loud. Uh, another says, That's why I like Horn, he's a total dog, but that's me, peace. Um, another person says, From the talk, <laughs> Horn has that type of attitude as well. And they're talking about JC Horn, the corner from South yeah. Carolina. Uh, here's my thing on that. And, and you can speak to this better than me because you understand this mm-hmm. concepts even more. Uh, Horn, to me, looks like a guy, you put him out there on the island, let him do his thing. You're not trying to have him yeah. sit up here and play in a bunch of zones and thinking just, hey, man, you know what, go over here to your side, take care of the business, which you know, would make him a great 3-4 player. But Dan Quinn is playing that, 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 that Seattle defense, and they're using a lot of zones. So I don't know yeah, if I think. want to draft a guy like Horn and put him in his zone. You've spoken before about Mo Claiborne, uh, you and Danny McCray saying, hey, you guys felt that, hey, here's a man guy. They tried to start having him play zone, and it didn't fit with the skills. Patrick Sertan is a guy that you know can do a whole lot of things. That's, that's the ability of him. Is he's such a technician that he can do different things. And he can play the run very well. I don't think people are mm-hmm. talking about that enough. You know, J.C. Horn's a good corner. I'm not saying but. He doesn't play the run the way a guy like Sertan plays the run. And I think that's going to be important to a guy like Dan Quinn in his game. And, and you just mentioned it earlier. I mean, we saw a perfect example of that. And not saying that J.C. Horn can't play zone or anything like that. But when you got a guy that's a shutdown corner and his mentality, he's like, oh, who, I got this guy. I got the best guy. I guarantee you this guy won't catch anything. When you got that mentality, kind of kind of similar to what Mo Claiborne had when he came in there. He was that Thorpe Award winner. LSU had him go out there and just shut down the main guy. Just go out there and do what you do best. That's play man-to-man. There wasn't a lot of communicating. There wasn't a lot of, oh, I got this guy. If he goes under shallow, let me alert you and all that other stuff. When you're a man-to-man corner, that's who you got. And that's what hurt Mo when he came here because we were more of a zone team, especially a cover two zone team where you just had to get hands on them and you had to see more. You had to see more out there. You weren't just focused on one guy. And that's what kind of scares me with this J.C. Horn guy is he's a great man-to-man guy. He can lock guys up. But if we're in that zone scheme, if we're going to bring that Legion of Boom type defense down here where they were more zone and a lot of communicating, is he going to be able to do that? Is he going to be able to see, okay, I got a slot receiver right here. I need to play two to one because if that slot goes deep, but this this number one stays shallow, I got to alert my linebacker to get shallow and I got to go ahead and cover this number two. There's a lot of thinking when you come, when you get involved with a, a primarily zone team. So that's just what I would think about that. I know Sertan has the pedigree. He has that technique to be able to do both. That's why I lean towards him. Nothing against JC Horn, but this guy, this guy, um, Sertan, he could do the best. He's the best of both worlds, and that's why I say you got to get him. He's what you call a clean player. There's, yeah. You know, you, you know, the tape tells you this is a good football player. He can contribute. And just so many check marks are there. There's, no, there's not a lot of downside. There's not a lot of gambles here. And I just don't think the Cowboys can be out here gambling. This is what you want. A guy who's played at the highest level, who's won a championship, who's been a guy who's been starting since day one, who clearly can play for one of the toughest coaches in, in all of college football, who understands what 
that kind of complex defense is there. So, boom, love that guy. Church, you brought up another topic here, and I want to make sure we get to it. Uh, can Ezekiel Elliott have a bounce-back season? Go. Ah, I hope. I hope and I pray for the sake of this football team that Ezekiel Elliott can bounce back and have some type of form that he used to have. I don't think we'll ever get back to that 2016 um, Ezekiel Elliott because he was the main focus of the team. He was the guy that was getting the ball down in and down now. He was the engine that kept this offense going over the years. We kind of transition to now Dak is basically the offense and the engine that keeps it going. And Zeke is kind of a just, you know, all right, let's run the ball. Let's keep the defense honest type role. So even though I would love for him to get back to his old form, and I think that would get the most out of this offense and out of this team, if we were able to control the clock through the run game, I, I just don't see it happening because we have an offensive coordinator and we have a, a, an offense with a head coach that is he's, he's very, very dominant when it comes to throwing the ball. We, we've seen it the, uh, last year. I think, like you mentioned earlier in our group chat, I think, uh, what was it, Zeke was 16th in rushing attempts in the National Football League? The Cowboys as a, team, guy, as a team. They were. As, oh, as a Cowboys as a team, okay. But still, he's not getting the carries that we think a guy that's getting paid, whatever he got 90 million, should get. And then you got guys thinking about adding another offensive weapon in Kyle Pitts, another guy that's going to take the ball away from Ezekiel Elliott when we already have uh, C.D. Lamb, uh, Michael Gallup, uh, Cooper that's going to spread the ball around. When we add another offensive threat like that, the ball's getting spread too thin. And I don't think he'll be able to get the touches necessary for him to be out there and be the best back he can get. Because I think the running back position, you got to have that rhythm going. You can't just, you know, let me hand it off to you once every couple of downs and I want to see you make a big play. You got to get that rhythm. You got to get kind of wear that defense down. And with the offense or the offense we have, the passing heavy offense we have, and especially if we add another Kyle Pitts to this situation, I just don't see the ball being able to get to Ezekiel Elliott. It'll be spread too thin and he might have an all right season, but it won't be what we're used to or what we were used to um, back when he was in his first couple of years in the National Football League. Brother, I'm sitting here in my SWBC virtual home studio um, saying to myself, yeah, Church, you're right. When you, when you first came up and, and had the question, I said to myself immediately, he won't get the chance. You, know, you won't get the yeah. chance at a bounce back here. And the unfortunate thing for me is fans want to beat up Ezekiel Elliott for his contract now. And here's where I will defend Ezekiel Elliott. They signed him to be a bell cow running back, which is why he got $90 million in, in, you know, set the market. Then you hired a football coach who's never done that as a head coach with his football teams in Green Bay. They never featured a running back. And nah. all we have to do, if you're a Cowboy fan, is go back to when was Emmett Smith doing the bulk of his damage? It's in the fourth quarter. Because it was a consistent thing. It's like boxing. Jab, 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 jab. And next week, bam, you get knockout punch. And that's what Emmett was able to do. It's a continual thing. It's watching, it's watching the greatness of Derrick Henry. Tennessee runs the football. And so by the time the fourth quarter, all those body blows, all those jabs got you. And there's, here comes the knockout punch. Ezekiel Elliott's not going to get that opportunity here. Even though Mike McCarthy at his press conference spoke about you know, trying to be more balanced. But I'm sorry. How can you be more balanced when you got the doggone owner saying he's intrigued with Kyle Pitts. You're not, you're not intrigued by your running back. You're intrigued by throwing the ball over the place and getting Dak Prescott um, more weapons. And, and I, just, I just think that poor Ezekiel Elliott has, has, is not going to ever lead the league in rushing again. I think we could say that, Church. Yeah. I don't see him leading, yeah. the rush, leading the league in rushing again. I don't see it because they're not committed to it. Your offensive coordinator is a former quarterback. He wants to throw the ball. You know, it's third and one or third and two. They sitting out here throwing a, a, you know, a route to a rookie. You know, they don't exactly. believe in it, man. They, exactly. they don't believe in it. Um, he's got to fix his fumbling problems for last year, too. I, almost, I want to make yeah. sure I put that out there. You know, he's got to improve. But, and I know you thought that he wasn't in shape the way he needed to be. And he battled COVID last year. There were, it was definitely a down year for Ezekiel Elliott. But when we talk about bounce back, I think the first thing has to start. There has to be a commitment to running the ball. And there's not a commitment to, to running the ball from this head coach. It has to be. And, and I think the biggest wall or the biggest defender Zeke, Zeke's going to have to overcome is, is going to have to be his offensive coordinator. I mean, like, like you mentioned, I mean, there were so many times last year where we're like, wait, what are you doing? You got a $90 million running back. Fourth and one, we're throwing a five-yard hitch to C.D. Lamb. I mean, it, it's just 
it's just head scratching moments like that to where you're like, wait, what's going on? And I know I joke a lot about him being a fullback and all this other stuff, but there was instances last year where he he lined up as a fullback, and I'm like, wait, what? You're you're using him as a fullback to fake him the ball and then pitch it to Tony Pollard somewhere? Look, I I don't understand Ooh. that. You got this guy. He's ninety million dollars. He he. He is one. He, I'm not going to say he is one a top five back because not after last year, but he still has some talent in the tank to be able to do damage. I just don't think he gets the reps he needs to get to be able to wear down a defense and get get back to those game breaking uh, plays that he was able to do. And like you said, Louie, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that moment. But for him, I think he needs, as far as his career is concerned, I think he needs a bounce back year this year. But I just, not, I'm not sure how it's going to happen with all those offensive weapons and spreading the ball. There's only one ball. There's only one ball out there, and with all these options, somebody's going to be unhappy. I'm just surprised that it's the ninety million dollar man that's going to end up being the one left out. I, you know, that's that's a head scratcher to me. It's going to turn out at the the way they're going, okay? The way they're going, it's going to turn out that you're going to look at the money you spent on Ezekiel Elliott and say that was you're not getting a, the return on investment. That that's nope. what's going to happen, and people are going to want to blame the player. And that's what I'm just kind of cautioning against for the Cowboy fans that are checking us out here on the Players' Lounge, brought to you by Hotels.com. This isn't all on the player. He can't Mm -hmm. give himself the football. He's not getting the type of work that a Dalvin Cook is getting in Minnesota or or even a a Derrick Henry in in Tennessee. Those coaches, those head coaches are about running the ball. They're also mm-hmm. defensive guys, too. They're, they're defensive. You know, there's any shock. The defensive guys are about running the football. And you've you got an offensive head coach who's, who's never done it. I mean, he had yeah. Brett Favre. He had Aaron Rodgers. He's had Dak Prescott. These guys have been chunking it. It's what they do. And so that $90 million, I don't think Jerry's going to see a full return on that investment. And that's kind of a shame because you and I know how it goes. It goes back to the play. People get mad at the play. With Without a doubt, they they're gonna say, "Oh, he got he got this big deal. Oh, look, he just got mm-hmm. his money and quit." And, and, yep. and that's like you said, that's completely unfair. I mean, there's a lot of examples out there. Hopefully, this offensive line will be able to be able to withstand um, this long season. They'll be able to stay healthy. That should be able to help him out. But like you said, I mean, they're they're gonna pile on him just because his contract was so high, and they're gonna expect him to be able to do this and that each and every down. But when you don't get the opportunities and at the end of the year, you're only rushing for 800, 700 yards, people are going to dog you out for it. And then they're going to come around, oh, he needs to get a pay cut or this, that, and the third needs to happen. It's just the way of the game, I guess. And also, and, and, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel that Kellen Moore gets away from the run game too quickly. The one time oh. where I felt he didn't get away from the run quickly and they ended up coming back and you saw him win the game was Atlanta. You know, they were down yeah. in the game, but, but he, he kept running the ball. And, and that, to me, is, is something I would like to see him as, a, as an offensive play caller improve upon, which is, hey, man, down 10 doesn't mean you have to give up on the run. Down 14 does not mean you just have to give up on the run. If you've got a special running back, and I do think Ezekiel is a special play, yeah. don't just give up on him. They need to start to utilize the special player more, in my opinion. Because if and Ezekiel then, Elliott is providing you that ability that, you know, you can hit him in the pass game and he can hit you up the middle, then you truly can get something more out of your offensive weapons on the outside. And, it's, and it was a head scratcher to me that you, you would think after Dak went down with his, with his gruesome injury that we would lean. We would lean on Ezekiel Elliott to kind of be that bell cow, get us back in contention. And with Andy Dalton in there, I mean, we, we still slaying that thing. We were still throwing that thing all over the yard. And, uh, and it just goes to show you that, you know, that's what the philosophy is of this offensive coordinator. It's, look, I'm here to chuck this ball. I'm here to sling this ball all over the place. This yeah. is Madden. This is Madden for him. And hopefully he learned and, and he'll get back to more of a balanced structure. But I don't see it happening. I see him still chucking that thing, especially when he gets Dak back. He's going to be like, oh, look at, look at my guy's back. Let me show you what he can do. And I can see us throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game. I can see it happening to him. And, and what I'll be interested to see is – Will Ezekiel Elliott step up and say something? We saw that happen at Ohio State. His, mm. his last season, they ended up losing a football game, and he just basically came out and called out the coaches. I didn't get the ball enough. He took criticism from Buckeye Nation, but the next game, they gave him the ball, and you know what they did? Won. And with the bowl game, you know mm-hmm. what they did? They won. 
You know, they, they got mm-hmm. the coaches, once again, they, they outthought themselves. They didn't think they at the time, Ohio State was 15. They, they weren't giving 15 the ball. Give 15 the ball and you can win some games. And that's what they did. Didn't lose another game. So that to me, I, I'm just kind of waiting to see. Because if you're Ezekiel Elliott, you know too. If you're not getting the ball, then you're not able to put up the numbers. You can't get to the Pro Bowl. You can't, you know, you can't get to where you want to get to if you want to have this really, really legendary career without that ball. So let's see if Ezekiel doesn't get to that point where he says, you're not feeding Zeke. This isn't right. And because of the way his contract set, it's not like you can get rid of him. I know play, oh, trade mm-hmm. Zeke. You can't. You can't. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott's going to be here another two, three years. Two to three years minimum because of the way the deal's set up. So they've got to find some peace and harmony to make this thing work, man. They got to. If we want to be the team that we, we think we can be, if we want to be that team that can win a division, go far in the playoffs and do that, that, and the third, we need to be that balanced. I mean, we, we've spoken about it time and time again on this show. The balanced teams, they take it to the next level. The teams that are one-dimensional, there's always that opposing team out there that'll figure it out, and they'll shut that one thing you do well down. You have to have a backup plan. And right now, we, we pass the ball over the yard, and we're not able to run it. The teams, once they shut down that pass, we've seen teams kind of just pile it on us. So we got to get back to that more balanced approach. And hopefully that's what Kellen Moore and, and Mike McCarthy are brewing up in the lab. Because uh, I'm telling you right now, throwing it 40 to 50 times a game, they're just going to get you in a long deficit. And we're going to be doing a lot of empty calories, empty, empty stats. And that's going to relate to 7 and 9. Because there ain't no more what? There's no, no. You can't be 79 anymore. 7 and what is it, 7 and 10 or something like that? So, yeah, so I don't, I, don't, I don't see it happening. So, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, well I know 7 and 10 means we, we'll be talking about uh, who's going to be the head coach for the Cowboys next year. Because the they- can't get away with it. Let's go 6 and 10 and 7 and 11. Let's go 7 and 10. You don't get the, you're not going to see year three, man, if that's what you're doing. Ain't no running back. Weapons. Ain't no running back after that. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, oh, hey, man, this man. is this this hour keeps flying. We've gone a little bit over the hour. So thanks to our producer, Chris Beam, for uh, uh, handling everything and keeping us going straight. Um, all right. Hey, we miss our guy, uh, Danny McCraig. Danny will, will be back here. Uh, he's got some pro- special projects, things he's working on right now. Uh, but for Barry Church, number 42 of the Dallas Cowboys, I'm Newey Scruggs. We oh, yeah. Checking out the players lounge. We'll talk to you next Friday, 1130 Central. All right, that's Texas time, 11.30 Central, North Texas time. All right, take care, everybody. Be well. The real 42. You heard it. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!